Today's first lesson is from Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 to 10 and 17 to 19. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew in the sixth chapter, beginning at the 19th verse. Glory be to thee, O Christ. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. The Gospel of Christ. Praise be to thee, O Christ. As we remain standing, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word through which you speak and reveal yourself to us. So I pray in light of that truth that I as preacher would just get out of the way, far less of me and far more of you, that your people gathered would be edified and your son Jesus glorified, for we ask this in his name. Amen. Would you be seated, please? Today we return to our series in the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus continues to invite us to live in step with his kingdom. 
And in our text today, we pick up a new topic, three seemingly unrelated, rather confusing statements that are all threaded into the next section with the words, therefore, do not be anxious. Meaning that Jesus is wanting to say something to us that is meant to address our anxiety. Not the clinical kind of anxiety for which we would want to explore all means necessary to address it, but rather the anxiety which is common to all of us. An anxiety around money and possessions, an anxiety in the face of an unknown future, an anxiety that leads us, as Jesus opens this section, to store up for ourselves treasures on earth. Now, is not at some level our entire economic system, our expected and hoped-for pathway through life, all geared toward addressing this anxiety? I mean, we go to school, why? To get good marks, why? To get into another school, why? So we can be trained for a job, why? So we can make money, Why? So we can have our basic needs met of food, clothing, a roof over our heads. Well, what then? Well, then we get to enjoy the excess. For how long? Well, as long as we possibly can. And so we invest in real estate and investment portfolios and retirement vehicles. Also that when we can or no longer want to work, we can have our basic needs met and continue in the lifestyle that we've grown accustomed to and then have enough left over to give to the kids to give them a head start on the hamster wheel. Our entire economic system, our expected and hoped-for pathway through life, all to address that anxiety by storing up treasure in the face of an unknown future. And Jesus cuts across all of it to say, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, this is nothing new for the human condition. The only thing that has changed is the means by which we store up for ourselves. In Jesus' day, they stored it up in a fine garment, which was an incredibly uh, rich piece of clothing that could be passed on to future generations. They stored it up in grain that could be kept in barns to sell or to plant in the face of future need. They stored it up in precious metals or perfumes that would be hidden away in clay walls. Do not store up such treasure, says Jesus. Why? Well, it's rather foolish. You think you'll address your anxiety, but you won't. Why? Because such things don't last. Moths will consume. Rust, or more accurately, vermin, will eat the grain. Thieves will dig through your walls and steal what you've hidden. He could just as easily have said to us, do not store up treasures. Why? Because it's foolish. You think you'll address your anxiety, but you won't. You'll never have enough, never feel like you have enough. The car will rust. A downturn in the market will wipe out your savings. You have no control over natural or geopolitical forces. And if that doesn't take it all away, the inevitable disintegration of your material reality will. You can't take it with you. There are no U-Hauls at funerals. Don't store up 
treasures for yourselves. What is far wiser, far more lasting, far more transformative, says Jesus, is to store up treasures for yourselves in heaven. Well, what's that? Later in Matthew, Jesus is having a conversation with a man, and he sees that money has a hold of this man's heart, and he says, if you want to enter into the kingdom, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. In his commentary, William Barclay relays the famous Jewish story of a king who in the face of famine liquidated all of his assets to feed his people. And it was said he stored up treasure for himself in heaven. A.W. Tozer once wrote this. Money can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry, clothing for the poor, gospel proclamation for the sinner. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Store up treasures for yourself in heaven, meaning give earthly treasure away. Invest in the business of heaven on earth. Resource the work of God wherever you may find it, that his will would be done on earth as in heaven. For where your treasure is, Jesus continues, there your heart will be also. The statement is both a diagnosis and a transformative truth. As a diagnosis, it reveals what truly drives us in life, what we're truly pursuing. You see, we often think of our heart as the seedbed of our emotions. But for a Hebrew thinker, the heart was the primary driver of our existence. As an operating system is to a computer, as a drive shaft is to a car, so the heart is to your very life. And Jesus is saying, if you want to see what truly drives your life, what truly gets you out of bed in the morning, follow your treasure. Follow your money. This week I spent some time reflecting on our financial picture as a family. Thinking in particular of my own pattern within it. There's money that goes to the basic necessities and there's money that we've set aside to give. But with what's left over, where does it go? Where do I spend money most joyfully and freely? Immediately two things bubbled right up to the surface. I spend money most freely, most joyfully on leisure and on control. In my purchasing, I'm fairly frugal. I don't replace things until it's absolutely necessary. Until I get into Bass Pro Shops or Cabela's, and then I need the best new shiny thing to follow my passions of hunting and fishing. The same is the case on our holidays. I want to see and to taste and experience the best that the world has to offer. I spend most freely, most joyfully on leisure and on control. Each and every month, I want to see our savings grow. 
not necessarily with anything specific in mind, but to turn down the anxiety in the face of an unknown future that if something unexpected comes along, we're left with options. My saving is my spending on freedom and control. And so let me ask you, if you were to step back from your financial picture, what would it tell you about where your heart is, what drives you, what you're pursuing in life, what truly gets you out of bed in the morning? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a diagnosis, but it's also a transformative truth. For as followers of Jesus, we long for our hearts to mirror that of Jesus, to have our hearts broken by the things that break the heart of God. And Jesus is saying, if you want to see change and transformation come about in your heart, invest in the things that are faithful to the heart of God. Invest in the poor, in the marginalized, the broken. Invest in those who are under the thumb of injustice. Invest in drawing others to the heart of Christ, healing hurts, restoring beauty, full flourishing for all. For where you put your treasure, your heart will follow. Now I suspect that at this point, or by this point, many of us are thinking in our heads some counterpoints. But what about enjoying what I've earned as a gift from God? What about being a wise steward for the future so that I'm not a burden to others? And indeed, such truths thread their way through Scripture. But the whole force of our culture will affirm us in those truths. Those truths need to be turned down, way down, in order to turn this one up way up. Give earthly treasure away to invest in the work of heaven. And so we might rightly ask, when the Bible commends saving but condemns hoarding, when the Bible celebrates enjoying the bounty of the earth but crushes self-indulgence, where might a healthy balance be found? One preacher invited a movement toward that balance by asking, I think, a very insightful question. Is my standard of living going up as fast as my income? Is my standard of living going up as fast as my income? And for the follower of Jesus, the answer to that question must always be no. The more you get, the greater the distance should be between where you do live and where you could live. We're to live beneath our means in order to give. Such was the witness of John Wesley. He was the leader of the Methodist movement. And he prayerfully looked at his wages and he said, how much do I need to live on? And at the time, he was making 30 pounds a year. And he figured he could live on about 28, and so he gave the two away. Over time, he grew in renown, and he began to speak, and to lead, and to write, and his wages grew 50-fold. And he continued to give away everything but that 28 pounds throughout his entire life. Why did he do it? Well, he tells us. He said, money never stays with me. 
It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into my heart. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Live beneath your means in order to give to the business of heaven, and your heart will follow. Okay, Jesus, sounds lovely, but I've got an earthly life with earthly needs and earthly desires. Do those things not concern you? Of course they do. But I say this to you because I love you, and I desire the best for you, for your world, 4 verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of life, but if your eye is dark, your whole body will be full of darkness, and great will be that darkness. It's a Hebrew idiom. The good eye is the generous spirit living to give it away. A bad eye is the miserly spirit living to grab a hold of it for oneself. And Jesus is saying this leads to darkness, to blindness, to the corrosion of your earthly existence. Think of it for a moment. We live in one of the most prosperous countries, the most prosperous time of human history. We are some of the wealthiest people that have ever walked the face of this earth. We've attended, attained a standard of living that far exceeds the wealthiest person in Jesus' day. And yet, do any of us think of ourselves as wealthy? Do any of us think of ourselves as greedy? Do any of us think of ourselves as materialists? I would suspect few of us. I've been a pastor for over 20 years. And never have I had anyone come to me and say, Pastor, I, I think I might need your help. I might be greedy. No one's done that. Why? Because we're not sure how to define it. And we can always find someone whose patterns with money are far more suspect than our own. We're blind to the hold that money has on our hearts. I suspect that there are more than a few of you here who would have loved to have done something else for work than you're doing right now. You had a passion, a drive. You could see how you were uniquely gifted by God to bless others. And someone came to you, well-intentioned, and said, you're not going to make a whole lot of money doing that. And so now you're not working for God's sake. You're not working for others' sake. You're working for money's sake. Not only that, the pursuit of money will also blind us to how money's made and it's spent. For six summers through university, I worked as a tree planter. And I remember the first time flying over northern British Columbia to get to the job. There was nowhere you wouldn't look where you wouldn't see the landscape scarred by clear cuts. Logging roads cutting through animal habitat, the resulting erosion that was destroying entire ecosystems. And it grieved me deeply to see it. Selective logging would have been far better, but far less economical for the logging companies. But tree planting was piecework. The more you planted, the more you made. 
I wasn't very good the first year, but by the end, I was making more than 20000 in just a couple of months of work. It was incredible money for a student. And then I would fly over those clear cuts without a twinge of conscience, without sorrow. Why? Because the money had made me blind to what I was participating in. I needed those clear cuts to make the kind of money that I was making. When we're driven by treasure, we stop asking tough questions. Is what my company producing? The business we're involved in? The deals we're making? The stock I'm invested in? The things that I'm buying? Are they good for humanity? Good for the social fabric? For cities? For neighborhoods? For the environment? When what drives us is storing up for ourselves The result is blindness, darkness. See, when we pursue earthly treasure, we tend to treat other people in terms of it. A loved one dies, and very quickly we begin to wonder, am I in the will? When we encounter a poor person, we all of a sudden feel superior. It's my superior intellect and drive and wisdom and hard work that has given me this. I'm not going to learn anything from you. When we encounter someone wealthier than us, there is that same superiority complex, but tingled with resentment and envy. When what drives us is storing up for ourselves, all that results is blindness, darkness. But, but, if the eye is good, if generosity governs your life, If you're constantly approaching friends, neighbors, church, the poor, the city, others, with the posture, how can I use what God has given me for their benefit? Jesus says your whole body will be full of light. You'll see your way through life so much more clearly, so much more easily for their sake, for your sake. Okay, Jesus. I see that you're inviting me to a a kingdom approach to money because you love me and you desire the best for me, but but I think I can do both. I, I think I can give generously and also store up treasure for myself. No, 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 you can't. Verse 24, for no one can serve two masters. For either you'll hate the one and love the other, Be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon? What's that? Well, most English translations will render it money. But Matthew, writing in Greek, keeps it in the Hebrew. He wants us, his readers, to see something. You see, in Hebrew, the word went through a bit of an evolution of meaning. At first, it was simply a noun to refer to your material possessions. And then it came to mean that which you entrust to another for safekeeping, giving your money to a banker. And then it came to mean that in which you trust to keep you safe. You trust in money, you trust in possessions in the face of an uncertain future. And then it came to be capitalized. An idol, a rival god that once it has a hold of your heart, won't easily let go. 
Now notice Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't serve God and mammon. He says you cannot. It's completely impossible. You just can't do it. But I would suspect that most of us might say, well, Jesus, I think you're quite wrong there. It's not impossible. I'm doing it. I figured out how to serve money and you. I'm a multitasking master. I mean, when we look out at our neighbors, do we see a huge difference between their spending habits and ours? Do we feel any great or lasting tension with the consumeristic culture around us? If that's the case, we're likely saying to Jesus, by our lifestyle, I think you're wrong. You can serve God in money. I'm doing it. And I wonder if part of the reason that we feel that way is that we've made Jesus' teaching on money into a rule. A rule that becomes a bit of a break wall to allowing the full force of Jesus' teaching on money to actually hit the heart. The rule? Tithing. Right? Many of us have been taught that as Jesus' followers, we're meant to give a tithe, 10% of our income away. So therefore, the remainder is ours to do with as we wish. I mean, at times, that becomes a conversation partner in my head. I'll see a need or an opportunity to invest in the business of heaven, and I'll think to myself, well, I've already given. I've already done what I should with my money. I've fallen into trap of considering my money in this way. How much of my money will I give to God rather than how much of God's money Will I use of myself? I may not be verbally mocking Jesus, but my life certainly does. You could serve God in money. I'm doing it. I would suspect I'm not alone in that. And Jesus says, because you think you can, you'll never be free. You'll be consumed with worry. Because if something else other than God is at the center of your life, the predominant symptom will be worry. Why? Because everything else other than God changes, fades, diminishes. Moths destroy, rust eats, thieves steal. Jesus wants to speak to our hearts. In love, I long for your freedom. And the only way to find freedom from money's hold is to give it away and allow me to take that central place in your heart. That certainly has been my own experience. From an early age, my parents gave us a simple guideline for our money. They said, whatever you get, 10% give away, 10% save, 80 is yours to use wisely. And I carried that on for most of my growing up years. And then I got my first job as a youth pastor. And I stopped giving. Why? Because I was in debt. I'd never been in debt before. And all of a sudden the anxiety around money came up and I thought, I'll pay off the debt. And then once it's paid off, I'll start giving again. But my conscience wasn't all that settled in that reality. So I began to justify. I began to think, well... The priests in the Old Testament, they didn't give. They were the recipients of the tithe. And so, ministers shouldn't give. The Bible says so. We can be very creative with our justifications, can't we? 
At the time, I was being mentored by another pastor. And in one of our times together, he asked me, how are you doing with your money? Because what we do with our money is a great indication of what's going on in our hearts. And so I came clean. I spoke of my anxiety and my theological justification for not giving, and he said, I'd like you to try something, Tim. I'd like you to start giving for the next two months. And when we get together again, I want us to talk about what you've experienced, what you've learned. So I started to give. And you know what? I didn't miss it. And even though I had less, my anxiety decreased. My giving away had broken the hold that money had on my heart and had brought Jesus back into the center. For in Jesus, we encounter one who gave up his treasure, gave up his power, his glory, his heavenly throne, his closeness with the Father, and emptied himself, even unto death on a cross, in order to make us his own. Meaning that Jesus gave up all of his heavenly treasure to make us his earthly treasure. And when we see him that way, When the Spirit brings the truth of that home to our hearts, money will cease to be the currency of our joy and security, for His love will bring us joy. His promises will bring us security in the face of an unknown future. So give, and your heart will follow. Give, and your whole life will be full of light. Give, and you'll break the power of money over your heart and its attending worry. Give. And you'll mirror the generous love of the one who let go of his heavenly treasure to make us his earthly treasure. For that is the way of Jesus. And that is the way of his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and and bring you our financial lives. And ask that you would reveal yourself to us. You would reveal the hold that money has on our hearts. And that you would push that hold out by your generous love to us in Jesus. That we would invest in the business of heaven to your glory alone. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.